Hello, and welcome to the 8th Ted Hughes Society podcast. Today, we'll be hearing from Anne Skay about Ted Hughes's Gaudete, published in 1977. Anne Skay is a world-renowned Ted Hughes scholar based in Australia. She is the author of Ted Hughes, The Poetic Quest, which explores the role of various occult traditions, particularly alchemy, in Hughes's mythopoesis. She also maintains the Ted Hughes web pages. They're a fantastic online resource for Hughes's studies archived by the British Library. They include an extraordinary amount of information about Ted Hughes's poetic frameworks and inspirations, particularly pertaining to his literary relationship to the occult, astrology, tarot, alchemy, and much more. They can be found at anne.skay.com. Gaudete is one of Hughes's strangest, darkest, and most problematic books. It was originally intended as a speculative treatment for a film, and it's also a hybrid book. It's written in a combination of verse and prose, and it has more of a novelistic atmosphere and novelistic arc than Hughes's other books. It ends with a series of epilogue poems, very short devotional poems to a female deity, and Anne will be talking about those today. But first, in order to orient us and give us some context for Anne's Gaudete discussion, I'm going to read an excerpted version of Ted Hughes's own summary of the book. An Anglican clergyman, the Reverend Nicholas Lum, is carried away into the other world by elemental spirits. Just as in the folk tale, these spirits want him for some work in their world. To fill his place in this world, for the time of his absence, the spirits make an exact duplicate out of an old log and fill it with elemental spirit life. This new Nicholas Lum is to all appearances exactly the same as the old, has the same knowledge and mannerisms, but he is a log, a changeling. This changeling proceeds to interpret the job of ministering the gospel of love in his own log-like way. He organizes the women of the parish into a coven, a love society, and the purpose of this society, evidently, is the birth of a messiah to be fathered by Lum. At this point, the spirits who created him decide to cancel him. It may be that the original Lum has done the work they wanted him to do, and so the changeling's time is up. The result is that all the husbands of the parish become aware of what is happening. The narrative recounts the last day of the changeling's life. At the death of the changeling, the original Nicholas Lum reappears in this world, in the west of Ireland, where he roams about composing hymns and psalms to a nameless female deity. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Ted Hughes Society podcast. Sometime in the 1970s, whilst discussing the epilogue poems in Gaudete with Eckbert Fass, Ted told Fast he'd been very much influenced by the ancient Vakanas of the southern Indian worshippers of Shiva. He said that he had begun to write Vakanas as little prayers, about a hundred of them, recreating what he found to be congenial rather than borrowing individual lines or images. Some of these prayers, he said, 
would be published in Orts. But when he was reshaping Gaudete, he realised that these were the sort of poems that would be ideal for the end, if he could write them in the right context. So how did Ten go about learning to write for Karnas? I have a vivid memory of Danny Weisport mentioning over a coffee at the British Library that Ted had been so excited by A.K. Ramanujan's book, Speaking of Shiva, that he'd urged Danny to buy it and had sent a copy to his old friend Lucas Myers. So, of course, I had to go out and try and find a copy. Luckily, it was available as a Penguin classic. I don't remember how I came across Ted's Vakana notebook in the Emory University Ted Hughes archive, but probably because it contained unpublished poems, I asked for photocopies of it. I was totally unprepared for the discovery that the poems were as powerful as they are, that many of them relate to the Gaudete epilogue, and that they show a developing sequence based on Ramanujan's translations of the Bacanas of Basavana. They all express personal prayers to a deity who, in Basavana's case, was Shiva, his lord of the meeting rivers, and for Ted was his goddess, his lady of the hill. It's clear that Ted was learning from Basavana, but the strength of feeling and emotion are completely his own, and from the start his images are drawn from his own life. Anyone who's looked through Ted's manuscripts will know that mostly he wrote on loose sheets of paper, often recycled paper, and he rarely dated anything. The poems in this notebook too are undated, but they appear in consecutive order. So you can see the development from close parallels to Basavana's poems to poems that are uniquely Ted's. Another 12th century poet saint who's included in Ramanujan's book is Alama Prabhu, who according to Ramanujan was known as the master and was considered to be the guru of other Vakana saints, including Basavana. Eckbert Fass, in his discussion of Gaudete, noted that Ted particularly admired the Vakanas of Alama Prabhu, and he traced some of their shared imagery and mystical intent in Ted's epilogue poems. Alama Prabhu turned to nature for many of his images and symbols. For him, Shiva was lord of the caves, which makes me think of Ted's cave birds and of Plato's description of our view of reality as being merely shadows thrown by firelight on a cave wall. It also makes me think of the damaged half-animal woman in the cave-like, subterranean, firelit place that the Reverend Lum is taken to at the beginning of Gaudete. And there's a poem in the epilogue which speaks of a cave, and inside the cave some female groaning in labour, or in hunger, or in fear, or sickness, or forsaken. Alama Prabhu's Vakanas have less to do with the ills of the world than those of Basavana. His focus is on mysticism and enlightenment. There are few clear parallels between his Vakanas and Ted's, but the overall strength and clarity of their individual voices is the same. The first poems in Ted's Vakana notebook are clearly modelled on those of Basavana.
But once Ted had worked through the poems by Vasavana, which were in Rapanujan's book, the poems become completely his own. And it's these poems which became the epilogue poems in Gaudete. The Kanas are ancient and sacred Indian literature, which has been likened to the Indian Vedas and to the Bible and the Quran. And Basavana is a saint of the Lingayat community in Karnataka in southern India. From 1160 to 1268, he was finance minister to the king of the Kalachuri dynasty. He was also a philosopher and a poet. And most importantly, he spearheaded, as one Indian book puts it, the Shiva Sharmas, who rebelled against the prevailing caste, class and gender discrimination in their society. His Vakanas, and the word means sayings, things said, are personal religious lyrics addressed directly to the god Shiva, but they also express his philosophy of social and religious equality, which is still practised in Karnataka. What drew Ted to the Vaganas, however, was their simple, direct, lively language, which relies on the rhythms of ordinary speech and addresses Shiva as would any bride or groom, praising, arguing, accusing, exhorting, berating, pleading with their spouse. In the 12th and 13th century, which was the age when most of the valued Vakanas were written, the devotees regarded themselves literally as husband or wife of Shiva. The first poem Ted wrote in his notebook reflects the pattern in voice of the first of Vasavana's poems in Ramanujan's book, where he cries out to his lord of the meeting rivers about worldly troubles, which threaten to drown his spiritual concerns and silence him. Look, wrote Vasavana, the world in a swell of waves is beating upon my face. Why should it rise to my heart? And he pleads with his lord of the meeting rivers to listen to his cries. For how can I tell you anything when it rises so high over my head? Watch me, Ted wrote, and he speaks of fouler drink and more rubbish threatening his body, beating at his chest and roping his throat. Lady, he pleads, how can I bring you what I bring you when it has risen over me? Another aspect of the Vakanas which would have appealed to Ted is the way they are traditionally ordered as a mystical ladder reflecting the inward spiritual development of the devotee. Ramanujan describes six steps from devotion through discipline, knowledge, enlightenment and ecstasy to complete union with the creative source. Ted's Vakanas follow this path and reflect this spiritual development especially as they appear in Gaudete's epilogue, where Ted has ordered them differently to those in the notebook. Not all of the notebook poems appear there. There they express his own direct experience of the goddess and her absolute power. And they express his own experience of living in two worlds, the mundane and the spiritual. Rusted firm, he writes, not just to east, west, north or south, but to the centre, both poets reveal that no word, no image, no metaphor can describe the mystery of the divine creative power. 
Ted wrote that grubby words or epithets and slimy phrases will not do because words fall withering on the sudden spring of your emergence. Have words any part in your worship, he asks. They are provisional, like the trial and error sign language of an explorer who is nearby to the lost temple. So, look at me, lady. Listen to all I do not manage to say. There are warnings, too, in these vakanas. Basavana warns, do not take on this thing called bhakti, which is devotion. Like a sore, it cuts when it goes in and cuts again when it comes out. Ted, in a vakana which was published in the limited edition Orts and is now in the collected poems, advises that it is better, happier to stay clear of the pure water of the source. If you do not, your world will smell of decay and your hunger for the divine will be like that of a lover, famished for a kiss, famished especially for the kiss. You'll be irrevocably changed but still tied to your human body. The you you have to die with stays, stone of the stone hill where the water brims so pure it is tasteless. Both Basavana and Hughes recognise that truth and unity with the God cannot be taught. And Basavana, in a number of Vakanas, decries various Indian religious and cultural practices and superstitions. Understanding that religion, religious dogma, ritual and mechanical ways to worship will not help catch one tremor of the divine, he writes scathingly, Parrots recite... So what? Can they read the Lord? And Ted calls on his lady to correct the direction finder. Let me find you without losing the water or the air or the fire or the earth. Some, Ted says, wear crosses and show souvenir keys to the treasures of heaven, but not the true key or the treasure itself. I have both key and treasure of the living one. But can I show either, he asks. And in a poem which became the first from his notebook to be included in the Gaudete epilogue, churches topple like the temples before them. The reverberations of worship seem to help collapse such erections. Unlike Basavana's Lord of the Meeting Rivers, Ted's Lady of the Hill is everywhere around him. She is an ocean of marvels that he will never fathom. And she is there in the primrose petal's edge, in the eye of a hare, in ferns, in the oak, and in the birdsong sizzling in his ear. But the gods are veiled and rarely reveal themselves. Basavana wrote of his lord's 8,400,000 faces and begged him to put on just one and come and test me. Unlike Basavana, however, Ted saw the goddess embodied in every woman. In order to test him and lure him away from devotion to her, the goddess's tests are like hooks 
that catch men for the future of the species. Some of the imagery Ted uses in these vacanas appears again in birthday letters. He describes woman's long smoothness, her flanks lithe as a fish. But although a woman may be wild and naked as a foxglove, which makes me think of Ted's sunstruck foxglove poem in Flowers and Insects, his goddess is wild and naked as a fox. However, since the devotees were the brides and grooms of their god or goddess, unfaithfulness was regarded as fornication. Both Basavana and Ted in their vacanas went out to fornicate, but both suffered terrible retribution for running after sugars. Basavana screamed and had wheels on his back from his punishment. Ted was attacked by a waiting gang, and the woman who nursed him was a witch who stole his soul and roasted it. The final step of the spiritual journey, union with the god or goddess, is one in which there are no divisions, no uncertainty. Alama Prabhu describes this moment of completion in a Fukana where he writes that the light devoured darkness. And again in the last of his poems translated by Ramanujan, he experiences the sudden dawn of a million million suns. The final poem of Ted's epilogue is, I think, more powerful. Glare out of just crumpled grass, blinded, I blink. Glare out of muddled clouds, I go in. Glare out of house gloom, I close my eyes. And the darkness too is aflame. So you have come and gone again with my skin. A year or so after my paper on Ted's Vakana notebook had been published, I received an email from an Indian man saying that he had a Vakana book sent to him by his uncle, who intended it for me. He wanted my address, and initially I almost put the email straight into my junk folder. Luckily, there was something which suggested it was genuine, so I sent him my address. In due course, a finely bound book with brass corners arrived from Guru Mahagaonkar, president of the Shiva Rudra Trust in Bangalore, greeting me with love and respect and hoping the book would offer me additional reading. In this book, there are 2,500 vakanas, mostly by 12th century devakis of Shiva, and collected and translated by a group of translators. I was interested to compare Ramanujan's translations with those in this book. On the whole, the Vaganas were equally powerful, but I found that the book translations were generally drier than those of Ramanujan, who, like Ted, was a poet and had a poet's ear for the rhythm of words.